You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Acts. Here's Nate. Well, as we turn to Acts chapter 10, I think it's important to realize a couple of things. First of all, it's important to remind ourselves that we are approximately 10 years into the story of the book of Acts at this point. I know we're still at the front end of the book and the scenes have been moving by rather rapidly, but the pace has quickened in the last couple of chapters. Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 8 verse 4 seems to take about two years. Acts chapter 8 verse 5 all the way through Acts chapter 12 seems to take another 13 years. And then Acts chapter 13 through the end of the book seems to take another 14 years. So you have about 29 or 30 years of the early stages of the church written about by Luke here in the book of Acts. If Christ was crucified in 33 AD, it would be in 35 or so that Stephen was martyred, in 46 or so that Paul took his first missionary journeys, and in 48 or so that the Jerusalem Council of Acts chapter 15, as we'll see in a moment, took place. So at this point, we are about 10 years in. Now, it's also important to realize that here we are 10 years in, and the church is still, by and large, a Jewish entity. Hellenists have been reached, some Samaritans have been reached, and an Ethiopian eunuch has been reached, but not the full-fledged Gentile world. In fact, when dealing with people who are outside of the Jewish race, the church seems to be only reaching those who are proselytes, those who have converted first to Judaism. Now, Jesus had told the disciples to go into all of the world and make disciples of all nations going to the end of the earth. But here they are 10 years in, and for the most part, that work has not yet taken place. Now, in Acts 9, of course, we saw Jesus saving Paul who would become Paul the Apostle and would become the evangelist to the Gentile world. But the gospel really hasn't yet gained access to or traction to or in the Gentile community. It seems likely at this point, 10 years in, that the church was expecting Gentile proselytes. You get Jesus, but after you get Judaism would be the concept. And had not yet anticipated that the name of God would be great among the nations, uh, as a, according to Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. And so here in Acts chapter 10, they're going to learn that God has a different, larger, bigger, stronger, more beautiful and bold plan for the Gentile world. Christ is in the process of uniting all things to himself And part of that uniting work would be to unify Jew and Gentile, not 
Gentile becoming Jew and not Jew becoming Gentile, but uniting Gen Jew and Gentile alike in to Jesus Christ. And it all is going to start with Peter and his call to go to preach to a Gentile man named Cornelius. Now it says in verse 1, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now Caesarea was up north on the coast uh, there in Israel, or just outside of Israel, and Cornelius we learn, was a centurion, which meant that he was a Roman officer in charge of 100 soldiers. And it was of the Italian cohort, which would have been consisted of up to 600 soldiers. He's not quite a proselyte, but he's moving towards the God of Israel. He's seeking. He's a devout man, is what Luke tells us. Now, there are many centurions mentioned in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 8, we are introduced to one who had great faith. He told Jesus that you don't need to come to heal my servant. You can speak a word. I'm in authority and under authority, and when I give a command or receive a command, it is done. I don't need to go and follow up on it. You are one of authority. You can give the command, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus exalted or praised the faith of that centurion. There was also a centurion there who... At the cross of Christ, after his death, made reference to Jesus as the Son of God. That likely wasn't a full-on admission or confession of the deity of Christ, but it was a confession that was lighter than that, but still strong. A statement that this being, this man, is more than what we're claiming him to be. And now here we come to another centurion who's painted in a positive light in the Bible, Cornelius. And he is doing everything he can with the revelation that he has, and he is seeking the Lord, praying continually to God. Now about the ninth hour, or three o'clock in the afternoon, of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So this angel comes to him. Later, Cornelius is going to confess that a man stood before me in bright clothing. And here... He tells Cornelius to go call for Peter. Now, I think, on one hand, this is one of the more anticipated moments in all of heaven and all of eternity. Waiting for the moment, I think, God and the angelic realm was for the time when the, the nations would be exposed to the gospel message. I think that... When the angel said Cornelius, it was such a, a moment of love from the heart of God in looking out at this man and saying, you are going to be the first of many who will become my sons and daughters who are not of Jewish descent, but who are just of the nations. 
but you're going to know me and love me and serve me. And the longing that I have had within my heart to be reunited to man is going to be more fully realized as you receive the message of the gospel and by extension, those who believe after you also as Gentiles receive the gospel. It's also important to see that the angel did not preach to Cornelius. No, they are not the deliverers of the gospel. But Peter, especially specifically, needed to be the one to use the keys that Christ had given him to open up the door to that Gentile world. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him and Having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. So the scene is set. Cornelius is waiting now for Peter to come to him. He sent some messengers to go to this house of Simon's in Joppa to ask for Peter to come and speak with him. He doesn't know about what at this point, but he just knows that God has told him to ask for Peter. Peter, of course, does not know this, so God needs to communicate on Peter's end. At noon, Peter goes up to the rooftop. Everyone else is downstairs preparing lunch, and Peter is up there on the roof praying, but he's hungry. He wants something to eat, Luke tells us. And in that moment, he falls into a trance. Now, it is beautiful that Peter was up there on the rooftop in prayer in the first place, driven there, I think, by the Spirit. He's crying out to God, but he's just a man. Hunger begins to overtake him. He's not all spirit. He is flesh. There is a body. And in his trance, he saw, verse 11, the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now, so Peter has this incredible vision. In this trance, he hears a voice. But the voice is attached to this vision of a great sheet coming down with all of these animals and reptiles and birds that a Jewish man was not allowed to touch or eat and take into his body. But Peter hears a voice saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now he argues in response and says, I've never done that. I've never eaten anything common. I've never eaten anything unclean. I cannot do it, Lord, by no means, by no means, Lord. Well, the voice came to him a second time and then a third time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. So three times this was repeated and then the sheet was taken up into heaven. Now, this is a very Peter-like protest. Peter is the one who rebuked Jesus for talking about going to the cross Peter is the one who, you know, objected at Jesus washing his feet. And 
Peter is the one who said that he would not betray the Lord. So when he hears this message, rise, Peter, kill and eat, just the first thing that he thinks comes out of his mouth. But the voice of the Lord says, what God has called clean, do not call common. Now, when Mark wrote his gospel, it's very possible that he was relaying the words of Peter as he wrote his gospel account. And in Mark chapter 7, verse 18, Jesus taught and said, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, and then this long list of things which defile, which come out of us and are not consumed by us. So Peter here is beginning to hear Look, the problem is not external. The problem is not all of these ceremonies. The problem is not what nationality or birthright or citizenship a person has. The problem is the heart. And the heart is, it levels all of mankind under sin. But God can make the common, unclean heart of man clean. Now, this is also a very Peter-like conversation because he receives the vision three times. He denied Christ three times. He was restored by Christ three times. And now he has this vision three times. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in. To be his guests. This is very significant. Peter inviting these Gentile guests into the home of Simon the Tanner. And the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. So they take the trip all the way to Caesarea. Peter is submitting now to this plan of God. And Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. Now, it looks as if Peter brings six Jewish friends with him to Joppa. We learn that in Acts chapter 11, our very next chapter, which meant that he brought three times the witness requirement. Because a a witness would be established, a testimony established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. And Peter would have been one of those witnesses, plus two more would be three. Here he brings six brothers. You know, he really wants to double check. You know, I think something is going to happen that I'm going to have to give an account for to these Jewish believers who will be shocked that God is cleansing the Gentile nations. Now, Cornelius is there waiting in his home with his friends and family, expecting Peter. He's anticipating. He has such beautiful faith. He bows down, really just not knowing what to do. 
And Peter says, look, I'm not a supreme leader. I'm not, you know, any of these things. Don't fall down at my feet. I'm a man. He would not receive that special treatment. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. He, what he's saying here is this was a major step for me. You know, I don't do this. I don't walk through the threshold of a Gentile person's home. But God has shown me that I cannot refer to you as common or unclean. He's, he's received the vision from the Lord. Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. This was an incredible opportunity and open door. And Peter, at this point in his life, he could not deny that God was preparing him for this moment. Remember the events of chapter 9? Of course, Paul had gotten saved there, but Luke records for us also in chapter 9 that Peter had been busy right before this working very powerful miracles to the point that a woman had been raised from the dead through Peter's prayer. This was a way for God to say, my hand right now in a special, powerful, dynamic way is on your life, Peter. It was a way for Peter and those around Peter to have a sense of comfort, uh, fearlessness, boldness, that what he was about to do and the visions that he had received at this moment were of the Lord. God was preparing for this moment. It was, it was like God was just pushing Peter along to get him to this beautiful open door opportunity. So Peter, verse 34, 10 years after Christ has risen from the dead, opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is Peter now beginning to open up the gospel message to these Gentile believers. Now, he isn't coming out preaching a works righteousness. You could almost twist verse 35 to make it sound like that that anyone in any nation who fears God and just does what is right is saved. But what Peter is trying to begin communicating, we'll see him develop this more fully as his message continues, is that it's just that God shows no partiality, but you must believe in the gospel. In other words, he's just simply concluding, you don't have to be a Jew to know the Messiah, to receive the Messiah. So he goes on in his message, verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth 
with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I think that Peter's sermon here could be entitled the phrase from verse 36 that Jesus is Lord of all. In other words, the gospel is for Israel, but also for all. He reminds Cornelius and the hearers that you yourselves, you know what happened. You know, he's likely here referring to the fact that they had heard of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And he might have even, at this moment, really, he might have run down the story of the life of Christ and what Jesus had done and what it was like with him. But Luke isn't recording the fullness of Peter's message, but giving us more, more than likely a summary. And he announces that Jesus had been anointed with the Spirit and with power. So that's the Messiah, the anointed one. And we, verse 39, are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him, there's the resurrection, on the third day and made him to appear. But not not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter here declares his witness. He talks about the certainty of Christ's death. And certainly Jesus was absolutely dead. Through his prayer in the garden, the scourging, the mockery, the crucifixion, the pierced side, the confirmation of the centurion, he was very dead. Uh, Also, as witnesses, a testimony of the resurrection is that they were changed men. They were changed men. Their whole lives had been changed. They were even surprised by the resurrection, which, as that's recorded for us in the New Testament, it actually helps confirm our faith because these were not men that were waiting around superstitiously for a resurrection. They just didn't even really expect it. Christ appeared and showed himself to them. And so Peter is declaring that, look, he is the judge of the living and the dead and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name this is the key element faith belief in christ ephesians 2 8 and 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works, so that no one may boast now while peter was still saying these things the holy spirit fell on all who heard the word And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now, it was most likely this last line about belief that unleashed the Spirit of God upon this gathering. 
it strikes us like a second Pentecost, really, 10 years after the first, where the Holy Spirit is poured out even on these Gentile believers. And they're speaking with other tongues. They're rejoicing and extolling. They're praising God. And that had been unleashed upon them, of course, because they'd learned the gospel message from Peter and had believed the gospel message as they heard it from Peter's mouth. They were then, through their faith, regenerated by the Spirit, born again, and then the Spirit came upon them and they began to manifest the gifts of the Spirit. And this must have just really overwhelmed Peter. And he immediately goes into the role of disciple-maker. He commands them to be baptized, which is a way for them to confess to the world what has just happened within their hearts. And they ask him to remain for some days, and he does. So he goes into that discipleship mode immediately. And so here, through Peter's message, the gospel leaves simply a Jewish audience and enters into the nations themselves, which the Old Testament had pointed towards and is now being fulfilled in our modern era But it all began right here in Acts chapter 10. You remember when the Lord spoke to Abraham that Abraham's seed would make him a blessing or great to all the nations. And here we see that Christ is the one who fulfilled that promise to Abraham so many years ago that through Jesus, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God bless you. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.